0: visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, this
2: is Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guest is Cam Marsden. He's a leading expert in the impact of generational change and its impact on the workplace and marketplace. As an author, columnist, blogger, and lecturer, he imparts a clear understanding of how generational demographics are changing the landscape of business. Cam and his firm, Generational Insights, have provided research and consultation on generational issues to hundreds of companies and professional groups, ranging from small businesses to multinational corporations, as well as major professional associations for over 17 years. His books, articles, columns, and blog describe the, the describe and analyze the major generations of our time. Matures, born before 1946, Boomers, 46 to 64, Gen X, 65 to 79, and Millennials, 1980 to 2000. He explains how their generational characteristics and differences impact every aspect of business, including recruiting, retention, management and motivation, and sales and marketing. So as we've talked about before on this show, my goal is really to look at and and bring to our listeners conversations about how we navigate the volume of change we're facing in our world today. And Cam's work on looking at the demographics of different generations I think is, is embedded in that conversation in that as we're navigating change, each, as we look at stratifying the population by generation, each of us has a different view on the world just based on uh, when we entered the world and what was happening and then what we've experienced during our journey. So by stratifying, we get a clearer sense of how do we work with each group as we go forward, not in a way of stereotyping, but really in a way of helping us create a framework for increasing our understanding about what to expect and how to respond most appropriately. So what I hope you walk away with today is an understanding of the generational groups, Uh, how to work more effectively with each, and a foundation of knowledge um, and how we can adapt and get the greatest value from each working group, and also so how we can, understanding better how we work with each group so that we can help them accomplish their purpose and be more effective as corporate citizens and, and as people. So, Cam, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background, and also, how did you get involved in this work? Uh,
3: I had the background, the story begins, if you will, when I started doing some research in the Carolinas for my clients, Uh, focus groups, uh, exit surveys, uh, employee interviews, employee screening, things like that. And I began to notice trends evolving in the answers of the employees. So I kind of assembled all these trends after doing this for several years and approached the HR community in Charlotte and said, I think I've got something you all would find interesting. And I brought it to the HR community in a presentation. Uh, they immediately recognized these trends as things going on in their own workplace. And they asked me to come present these findings at their own management meetings at their, at their employers. And that kind of got me started on studying this and finding the Generational differences. Since then, that was fifteen, maybe twenty years ago. There's not a day that goes by that some sort of generational commentary isn't made uh, online in the news, in a, in a significant news source, not just an uh, industry journal or something, but a uh, mainstream news media will present these findings and new trends, et cetera. And they keep changing. That's the that's what I what's so fortunate about my work, from my point of view, is that. As the demographic shifts, as the generations age, as generations phase out of the workplace and new ones phase in, the content continues to evolve and change. And the employers, mostly employers, but some people in the sales marketplace as well, are finding new ways to uh, seek out this data, uh, the implications of it in their efforts, um, the implications of it in their management and leadership models. And uh, once they feel like they have their hands around it, it changes again. So there's a constant need for updates and refreshes in it. It's the typical pattern of any society, particularly an affluent society, is the, these generational demographics, if you will, these gener- generational uh, attitudes evolve. And uh, they evolve most starkly in times of affluence, and that's what makes this conversation so relative today.
2: Cool. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about what what the groups are that you use, and is your categorization similar to others? So are these terms like millennials constant, or, or um, when someone makes reference to millennials, are we all talking about the same thing?
3: You know, it's a, it's a good question. And I'll give you the generations and their breakdowns right now, uh, and then give you where the... The the definitions may change, and we'll go from oldest to youngest. The senior members are called the matures, born 1945 and prior. Uh, Many people put this generation into two different groups, one called the GI, one called the silent generation, the silent being the children during the Second World War, the GI generation being the one that fought in the Second World War. In this nation today, there are about 30 million people, and uh, you'll still find them in the workplace, but certainly not as common as you once did. Following the matures are the baby boomers. Now, this is one group that everybody agrees with, their terminology and their birth dates, 1946 to 1964. The boomers have been uh, analyzed a 1,000 times over. Everybody clearly knows who they are, who they're talking about, et cetera. There's actually part of our study is the tail end of the boomers, the late boomers, the trailing boomers. It's a couple different terms for them. They have some uniquenesses in their uh, workplace or their rather their marketplace behaviors. Following that is Generation X, or 1965 to 1979. There is some disagreement of when the actual birth date of the beginning of X is, but most of it, if you look at birth rate charts, reflects the same, 1965 to 1979. This group is also known as 13ers and the baby bust, but predominantly Generation X. Uh, Millennials also known as Gen Y, or 1980 to 2000. And this is where the greatest debate takes place over the ages of the millennials. Uh, I give it a 20-year range. Others give it a 10-year range. Others give it a 15-year range. Others say that technology is changing these generations so fast that you can't have a 20-year generation. I don't believe that. Um, So I I give them a 20-year range, 1980 to 2000. It's still the traditional definition of, two, of a generation, 15 to 22 years, and uh, that defines the millennials, in my opinion, very well. Following the millennials is uh, the iGen, born since 2000, also known as Gen Z. The plurals, I've seen one reference to them called the plurals, uh, born 2001 onward, and as of yet not relevant in the marketplace or the workplace, but going to be another populist generation, going to be another generation raised in affluence, going to be another generation raised by uh, helicopter parents or very, very attentive parents, another generation of individuality and uh, specialness as the millennials and the Generation Xers were raised. So they'll be different in terms of their ease and fluency around technology, but similar in terms of their child-rearing trends, I believe.
2: Okay. And so, yeah, I I think we can all probably think of people from the senior generation, so the World War II folks, our grandparents in some cases, or great-grandparents, and certainly um, understand that they see the world slightly differently than our kids or our grandkids do. But how different are those generations, really? Well, it's a good question. how how different were they when they took their first job than I was than new kids are?
3: Well, the the the, the stereotype, and there is some accuracy in the stereotype, is that the matures, the grandparents, the the GIs, the silents, all kind of the same group there, likely had one and at the most maybe two jobs in their career. Their employer was very patriarchal. It was very uh, controlling, and it was very. It, it, uh, the people expected to join a company and remain with that company uh, for their lifetime. It was also at that time much more of an agrarian society. A lot of people lived and worked on the farms and in the countryside. As the boomers came along, they entered the workplace expecting one job, but it didn't work out that way. Employer loyalty, employee loyalty, shifted, and the boomers had had to adapt. At having multiple careers or multiple jobs and a couple of careers in their lifetime. As the Xers came along, they expected multiple jobs and multiple careers. It's what they kind of were brought into the workplace expecting. They saw it happen to generations in front of them, and they never had any uh, predisposition that there would be fewer than three, four, or five jobs in their lifetime. They've expected this. The millennials expect six, seven jobs and multiple careers in their lifetime. So in the difference is how they approach their workplace. The matures approach their workplace with the attitude of keep my head low, try not to draw attention to myself, blend in, don't stand out, do what I have to to do well for my company, for my employer. And if I do well, I will be rewarded with promotions and bonuses and raises and things like that. On the other end of the spectrum, the millennial generation has entered the workplace saying, this is the first of many different jobs that I'll have. I've got to make sure that what I'm learning here is marketable to my next job, to my next career. So, employer, tell me what I'm going to learn here. Tell me how I'm going to be made better so that in my third or fourth job, I can use these skills down the road. Furthermore, the immatures and the baby boomers entered the workplace uh, with no expectation from the employer that the employer would have responsibility for the employee's happiness. The matures entered the workplace, the boomers entered the workplace, saying essentially, I'll make me happy. You give me work. Give me food, shelter, and clothing, or give me the opportunity to earn food, shelter, and clothing and I'll make myself happy. This is all related to the Maslow hierarchy of need.
2: Uh In our
3: lifetimes, we have promised the younger generations, both the Xers and particularly today the millennials, that their source of happiness will come from outside. Someone else, something else will make them happy. So they look at today's workplace with the expectation of not only what are you going to teach me, but how are you going to make me happy? How is this job going to make me happy? How is what I'm learning here going to make me happy? Will my mentor, will my boss, will my team make me happy? So all of a sudden they've entered the workplace expecting the top third of the Maslow hierarchy. Self-actualize me there. And the employers are having to, particularly if they're targeting the best and the brightest, the engineers, the programmers, the uh, the top 10%, if you will, of the test takers. The employers are having to react to this. Not, I will give you a job, but I will give you a job that will teach you what you need to learn for your next job, and I'll make you happy in the process, which is causing a lot of traditional baby boomers, and where you find them, the matures, who are in management and leadership positions, to be increasingly frustrated at the demands being placed on them by the next generation employee. Furthermore, it's causing a lot of consternation with long longstanding, uh, productive, profitable employees who are a member of both the Xers and the baby boom generation who are saying, look at what our employer is doing for this unproven employee. Look at the things our employer is offering someone who's never worked before. Yet I've been here daily for 15 years and getting treated like a dog. I'm not so sure, sure this is where I need to be. So it's creating some interesting disruptions in workplaces that have some legacy.
2: That, that is absolutely fascinating, especially the response. And those are probably some of the coaching conversations I'm having with the assumption often that if I go someplace else, it'll be better. And in fact, as employers as a whole are responding to these requirements, it sounds like probably most proactive workplaces are making those adjustments so that they're able to recruit.
3: They are making the adjustments so that they are able to recruit. It's happening in interview conversations. It's happening in job descriptions that are posted on their website. It's happening in uh, onboarding conversations. They are having to do this. And the the extremes, this is not normal, this is abnormal. However, it gives us the, um, it helps us understand by looking at the extremes. The extremes today are the um, the technology companies, which offer smoothie bars, which offer the cereal bars, which offer the back rubs in the lobby at two o'clock, which <laughs> offers the uh, the nap rooms, Ping-pong tables, uh, bring your bird to work day, things like this, which are contriving to make a happy workplace. You'll like working here. You'll be happy. And it's doing very well to attract everybody, but particularly the best and the brightest to the workplace to say, yeah, this will be fun. This will make me happy to work here. The quote-unquote normal employers, you know, I'm sitting in my office here, there's a bank on the corner, they don't have a bring your bird to work day. The, the the bank branch down the street does not have a nap room, but they are having to make learning and leadership training a big part of their recruiting effort in order to get the people that they want. So they're having to adopt in moderation. Now, the, the Silicon Valley examples are extreme, but even some of those ideas are trickling down to traditional workplaces today. They have to, or employers just simply won't be
2: competitive. Perfect. So I'm going to take us to break at this point and come back and talk about how do traditional employers, as they're listening to this, and, and I'm assuming some people are saying, holy crap, I can't do that. We can't have nap rooms as I'm trying to have tellers respond to customers. What do I say? We Wait till my teller wakes up. So, and, and yet I, I hear the mandate to provide environments that are appropriate to balance employees' expectations and employers' work demands. So let's get a break on that thought, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on
1: Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
0: Hi,
2: welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with Cam Marston, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Cam is talking about generational differences. Uh, he just finished walking us through what they are and a bit of what they expect, which leads me really to wonder as I'm, uh, running an organization or as our listeners are thinking about, uh, now I have this broad range of people and, and most of the folks I'm working with are clearly aware of the range, but not necessarily aware what do I do to balance Everything from I'm here and dedicated to doing the work and it's my job to make me happy to we're now recruiting young, incredibly talented folks who have a very different expectation of the role of my employer that it's your job to give me education that I can use on my next job, but also it's your job to make me happy. How do I balance that in the workplace?
3: It's a, it's a balance is the right word. It's difficult for the manager to satisfy everyone's needs. Um, the older people get in the workplace, the perks that they typically seek are more time, more flexible work arrangements, more uh, holiday vacations, et cetera. The young people come in and see more time being available and expect, expect that standard So one of the things that I, when I work with my employers is explain to them as your new young millennial employees come in, they are going to demand uh, some sort of flex work arrangement, some sort of, uh, you know, work from home, uh, flex schedule, whatever it may be. Well, scheduling and flex time is a privilege. It's not a right. So that's one of the first thing I encourage my employers to explain to their new employees is first, if this job allows for some sort of flex scheduling, second, it's a privilege. It's not a right. It's not something you get just by working here. It's something you earn, and it's something that you must work to keep. Uh, and there are rules, the employer must say, to earning it, and there are levels of productivity you must complete to keep it. So that's first. Flex time is a privilege. It's not a right. Second is going to the senior employees, those with tenure those that are reliable, that have shown up regularly for years to do the job and to benefit the employer. You have to go to them and say, you're going to see these next generations coming in. You're going to see what we offer them. You're going to see how we treat them. Let me explain why we have to do this now. Let me explain why what we did for you at that time won't work for them. Let's look into the future as an organization and make sure we're building out both uh, our talent, as well as replacing you, finding your successor, and therefore these new procedures that we're going to go through, these new offerings, communication styles, uh, ways of managing meetings, etc., are evolving in order to uh, protect this organization's longevity. So the employer must say, "Don't get bent out of shape. Don't get upset." everybody's going through it, it's our turn now, and we have to do it. So the balancing act goes between, first, going to the new hires and saying, here's what you can expect. Here's what you see, but here's the way it got here. In other words, rights, not privileges. Uh, Second, go to the senior people and saying, this is why we're doing it, and there's no way around it. Look at what these other people are doing. You can find a Wall Street Journal on this stuff any day to talk about what is being offered to new hires to get them into the workplace. You can look at how Uh, the medical community has had to drop back significantly on time spent in the emergency room as a part of their uh, medical training due to the complaints Mm -hmm. of the next generation. You can look at uh, wall street and the, uh, the the finance industry and how the next generation, the millennials have demanded uh, consecutive hours of time off on a regular basis, which didn't used to be offered before all these organizations are having to contort and change based on the demands of the next generation the employer says, therefore, we must, too, and here's how it's going to look. And and finally, I'm kind of going on here. The employer needs to go to those that are what I call paying the bills, that are showing up, producing the work, profitable employees, and say, we understand uh, this may be a challenge. We recognize who you are, what you've done, your loyalty, your work ethic, the value you provide. Because we're changing it doesn't mean we're dismissing any of this. We've just got to change to keep current with what's coming.
2: Okay, so it sounds like a lot of conversation. Are those one-on-ones? Are they group meetings? What have It's you a little know? of both. Really It's got to be a little of both. Some one-on-ones,
3: some group meetings. You need to make sure your stars, the, uh, the rock stars in the workplace, the ones that are producing an extraordinary amount of work, the ones that are either titled leaders or untitled leaders are addressed specifically. Uh, those people have a lot of influence and power and when they offer buy-in, when they give buy-in, the rest of the team will fall behind, will, uh, will fall in, fall in line with the buy-in. So these need, those people need to have the one-on-one conversations. The people that have titled or non-titled leadership positions need to be addressed specifically. The rest of the workplace as a group, to say, here's what's coming. Uh, so it's got to be a little bit of both.
2: Is there anyone, and I'm not asking for names, that stands out as companies are really grabbing hold of this and doing an exceptional job?
3: Well, you know, there's, a, there's, two, point, there's two sides to that. One side of it is there are organizations out there that are really taking on the attitudes and the demands of the next generation and are are really uh, getting ahead of the group in this. And they are, some would say, modifying their workplace. Others would say contorting their workplace to accept the next generation. I'll give you some examples. They are inviting the parents to join their child in job interviews. Uh, so they would say, the employer would say, this is what's coming, so we're just ahead of the game. The other side of that is, wait a minute, you are... You are perpetuating this generation's uh, lack of independence, or you're perpetuating okay. uh, the stereotypes in them by even allowing this. The same organization that I'm thinking of makes the job offer with the parents in the room so that they can discuss the job offer with the parents. Both the, the new hire, the employer, and the parents can work together with the job offer. And the other side of that coin is still the same. You're perpetuating uh, this uh, coddled, quote-unquote, coddled attitude okay. of this generation by offering it. So where you find the organizations that would consider themselves miles ahead of their peers, the other side of that coin is they're, they're causing more problems than they're creating solutions.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking I, I, my visceral response, and maybe I need some education, is are we going to have their parents come to work with them next?
3: Well, there is one called Bring Your Parents to Work Day, and the software companies offer it. The okay. uh, some of the companies that I'm re- thinking about here and their job are they offer it. Bring your parents to work day. It's okay. like bring your child to work day, bring your daughter to work day. Now it's bring uh-huh. your parents to work day. They offer these things. Not all the employees take them up on it. But enough do, and the employers say Hmm. this is a big, important part of making a happy employee is getting the parents buy-in, too, because the youngest members of the workplace and their parents are tightly connected. That's one of the Mm -hmm. new components of our society since roughly 1980, 1975, is how connected parents and children are. You ask the baby boomers, were your parents ever your friends? And the boomers come back and say, absolutely not. They were very important to me. I loved them dearly, but they were never my friends. Today, you ask a baby boomer who has teenage or, or children in their 20s, are your children their friends? Many of them are likely to say, yeah, they are. I raised them to be my friend. I shared thoughts and ideas and emotions with them that my parents never would have shared with me. Similarly, I encourage them to share the same things back. As a result, we today, parents or children, the the boomers will say, are friends. And uh, that's the way we raised them. That's the way we we designed this. Uh, It's not uncommon today to see the baby boomer father be the best man of their millennial son in weddings, whereas historically, Mm -hmm. traditionally, that was the role of a best friend. So they've created a connection, the boomers and their children, And the employers that understand this are saying, well, if that's the way it is, we're gonna facilitate it by offering a bring your parent to work day. And they think of it from the point of view of, we're cutting edge, we're where it's going. The other point of view, like your visceral reaction, wait a minute, there's a problem here. There's a a a legitimate issue here.
2: Okay, so yeah, I'm thinking of, um, I teach undergraduate students, which is new for me, and they're graduating seniors. And it's a leadership class in which they write journals. So one of the exercises is, as you've created your development plan, who gives you feedback and supports your progress? And my limited data set would point to exactly what you're saying, that for most of them, their parents are the major confidant and um, guidance provider. Not all, but for, for a large percentage, they are. And yeah, I hard not well to having with that. parents come to class.
3: Yeah. yeah. They it, may it's come hard to campus, to... but
2: they're not sitting in class with me.
3: Well, one of the new things in colleges, and I say this new, this is, I guess, I think about 15 years old. It didn't happen when I went to school, which was 20-some-odd years ago. I went to college. But since then, uh, they have new parent orientation. When I went to college, my parents essentially drove down the street in front of my dorm and pushed me out of the car and then had a the thing rigged on the back of the car. Whereas they pulled the button, the whole back of the car opened and all my gear fell out and they never tapped the brakes, you know, stopped <laughs> dropping roll. Uh, however, since then, they have parents orientation as well as student orientation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a it's it's an acknowledgement that there is a yeah. new type of relationship with parent and child reflective of the, what they call the helicopter parent of Needing to protect and be safe, and you know it 's hard to be I, I have I have two thoughts on this it 's hard to be too uh, it 's hard to find displeasure in the parents and the child connected yeah. this way, however, at the same time, you look down the road and uh, you see the kids living at home longer they 're getting married later they 're having children later all these responsibilities of adulthood are being pushed off, and the parents are facilitating it, and it is creating these challenges in the workplace. I mean, one of the side effects is the challenges in the workplace, and I've had this, uh, these conversations, this was with the financial services company, where uh, the annual review, employer-employee annual review, one-on-one, the employee leaves, and within half an hour, the employer's phone is ringing, saying, I'd like to speak to you, if I could, about the review you just gave my employee. Uh, So the employee left the review, called their parents, and the parents are calling into the employer asking to talk about the review. It's facilitating things like that. These are exceptional things. However, Uh it's not uncommon for the parents to be very involved in the employee's career today. On one hand, you can't blame the parents for wanting to be involved. On the other hand, but it facilitates a little bit of over-the-top neediness.
2: And so as employers, so me now taking the voice of the employer, yeah, I I appreciate that parents are involved because a lot of good will come of that versus kids being abandoned. So I get that. And I also get that no matter how much I like or dislike something, I, I can't resist what is. If this is the reality, I have to navigate it and no amount of wishing it were different is helpful. It's a waste of my energy. Yeah. So then the yeah. question becomes, how as, as a, an employer do I navigate and where are my appropriate boundaries for, you can bring your parents to work once a year just like you bring your kids to work once a year, but mom and dad cannot sit in my parking lot all day.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And the, and the child cannot be calling home texting home, emailing home to give updates throughout the day every day. Well, let me give you some three, uh, I'll give you three, uh, three responses to how you navigate this. There's first the exceptions. Every, you know, I'm, in our conversation, we are, when we talk about the millennials, mm-hmm. we're lumping in 80 million people. 86 million is the, is the number that I see most frequently. Okay. Into these categories, into these behaviors. These are very broad, vast stereotypes. Uh-huh. Therefore, you will find exceptions to the rule. And as a rule of thumb, if there are your, your listeners are employers and they say, I don't want to have to deal with this, where do I find people where I don't have to deal with it? Here's <laughs> what my search reveals. Oldest children, farmers' children, immigrants and their children oftentimes, military uh-huh. background, and people with a very rigorous rite of passage typically don't fall into these stereotypes that I'm talking about. So, if in an interview or in your community you can find these people from those five categories, you'll be, uh, you're, you're likely to do better. Second, around the age of 30, the maturity, the maturation process, Of A transition into quote-unquote traditional responsibilities, roles, and obligations of adulthood happens to this generation. Historically, it happened between the ages of 22, 26, but today it's happening 30, 31, 32 years old. They are what people like me study, and we call them the tweeners, the exer-millennial tweener. They're the generation, or they're a sub-part of the generation that is the transition from one generation to the next and they usually tip off what's to come from the rest of the generation. So right now, the extra-millennial tweener in their 30s is showing, and I'm using air quotes here, traditional roles of adulthood, traditional responsibilities of adulthood. But it's taking longer for them to get there. It's taking longer for them to get to this, quote-unquote, traditional adulthood because all the life stages that signify and that tip off the next stage of life are happening later in this generation for many reasons, but largely facilitated by our society. The third thing is you just got to deal with it. You, just gotta, you can find your exceptions, number one. You can wait until they're in their 30s to hire them or look for people that are looking for their jobs in their 30s and ask them in their interviews, are you married, do you have children, do you have any debt? I don't know if those are legal questions, but if you can get to those answers, you're going to find a predictable employee. Third, gut it out. Just simply deal with it. You're going to find talented, uh, and, and notice, no part of what I've said today is they lack work ethic. That is often a stereotype. Uh, okay. I don't believe that, but they are motivated differently. So the option three, gut it out. Create these little uh, what I call trinkets, these little diversions of uh, frequent team-building events, uh, frequent celebratory events, uh, frequent events off-site for doing different things. Let's all go to the movies tonight. All these little things that are used to create, and here are the air quotes again, happiness in the workplace. Three options. Exceptions, wait it out, gut it out.
2: Cool. That's a perfect place to break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about, again, how do I navigate? Because what you said is hopeful that just like when whatever age we were in our generation where we bought houses, got engaged, got married, we took on more traditional roles. It sounds like they will as well just at a later age. So let's I think break so. on. Cool, thank you. Let's go to break on that note and we will be right back. Uh, this is Maureen Metcalf and Cam Marsden talking about generational differences in the workplace.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations – to reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hi, this is Maureen Metcalf. Welcome back. Innovative leaders, driving, thriving organizations. We're joined by Cam Marston today uh, talking about Generational differences within the workplace. And, Kent thank you so much uh, for the insights you've given us thus far. Uh, and what I wanted to summarize from the last segment is, that I heard to stand out is as our younger generation, the millennials, move into places of higher responsibility, so as they get married, buy houses, um, those traditional life shifts, Uh, they take on also more traditional behaviors. It's just happening a little later in life than it did for you and I. Uh, So as a workplace, there were a few things I can do. Um, I can gut it out, I can accept it, and I can wait it out. Um, Did I get those right? And what do you want to add before we go on to the next question?
3: Uh, I think you've got them just right. Those are your options. Uh some people love the gutted out. Some workplaces are designed for gutted out. Incidentally, something we've not talked about. The Boomer Xer tweener. I've talked about the Exer and Millennial Tweener. The Boomer Xer tweener, born roughly between nineteen sixty to nineteen seventy, is a really good uh gutted out person. They tend to quote unquote get the next generation, the boomer Xer tweener, and they make wonderful leaders and employers. Of the next generation. I call them interpreters. They interpret from mm-hmm. the younger to the older and the older to the younger, and people are very loyal to them, to the individual, not the workplace, the company, the brand, or the paycheck, but that individual. They're remarkable and wherever I go.
2: Great. That, that is um, interesting and valuable to know that there are groups of people, and again, I realize these are... Um, Extreme stereotypes and and we are all our own special snowflakes but but that as i 'm looking for potential solutions that there are people who are more or less wired to play that bridge role yeah because i 'm guessing were. a lot of people are listening and saying okay that 's nice. what the heck do I do about it? you've just pointed out a problem I knew I had, and that 's not helpful
3: yeah yeah well the uh, the other side of that is. Uh Like I said, the Xer, or I'm sorry, let me get this straight, the Boomer Xer tweener tends to manage uh, all the generations well and has a really uh, team to quote-unquote get the youngest generation. The opposite side of that coin, which is something we've not talked about, but I find becoming more and more relevant, had a long kind of coaching call on this yesterday myself, is uh, the Generation X manager. Generation X born between 1965, 1979, uh, mid to or, or late 30s to earliest 50s. And there, if you're up on the heart, if you're, quote unquote, a typical Generation Xer, and here we go with these massive stereotypes again, one of their characteristic and management roles is to leave the team alone. And I'll try to give you this as, as quickly as I can. It's I find it fascinating. There are a couple of my favorite studies within the generations, and the Gen X managers, one of them. Gen Xers entered the workplace working for baby boomers. The boomers insisted on a lot of consensus-building, team-building activities. The boomers said, we get together every Monday morning for our weekly meeting so that we're all on the same page. The Generation Xer says, why do we need to do this? You've given me my job description. Why don't I just follow my job description? You worry about your page, I'll worry about my page. And what's happened is now the Xers are the managers, the leaders. They've moved up in this ranks, and they've been there for a little while now. And they're going to their own teams saying, you're going to love working with me because I'm eliminating meetings. We're going to stop these things. <laughs> the baby boomers, they, they had to have these weekly meetings, these big same-page events. They were this big uh, elbow, elbow link and elbow link-and-sway, kumbaya events. We don't need to do these things. Let's stop. If you need to know anything, I'll give you an email. We'll get together once a quarter. That's plenty. Everybody, do your job. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm going to leave you alone. And they, my or peers I'm a Generation Xer, feel like they're doing their teams the greatest favor by leaving them alone. What's happening to those teams? We know. The boomer generations that the Xers are managing, where the Xers are managing a generation older than themselves, are struggling. They don't feel like there's consensus being built. They don't feel, quote-unquote, connected with their team or their workplace. The millennials, on the other hand, are struggling. They're, well, they're, Similarly, they're struggling, but the reasons is different. They're a herd animal. They're a grouped animal. They were raised and educated around tables facing inwards as pods, as groups. They were set up on play dates. They've been a part of teams since they could walk. They were shepherded in minivans. There was very little left to their own devices on this generation. The Generation Xer, though, came of age as the latchkey kid, as the individualist, as the nomad, as I'm going to figure this out myself, and they're used to being left alone to figure things out. And now that they're the manager, they feel like everybody should do it that way. You guys don't need meetings. Figure it out. I'm going to leave you alone. If you need me, come find me, but I'm not going to bother you. Doesn't matter what page you're on. Doesn't matter what page I'm on. Do your job. If you need me, come find me. The millennials, struggling without their team. The baby boomers, struggling without their consensus building. And the Xers, sitting back in his or her office thinking or their cube thinking they love me. They just love me. Look at how I leave them alone. This is what heaven's going to be like, by the way. When we all go to heaven, we're going to leave each other alone. I don't want to hear about your weekend and I don't want to have to talk about mine. Let's just work together. We all got all the friends we need. And these workplaces like this call I had yesterday, and this is a senior guy. He has ultimately 10,000 people that he is responsible for. A senior guy saying, You know, I have these meetings with my baby boomers, and they drag on. Everybody wants to talk about what we're doing and how we feel about things, and I just want to tell them, hey, let's get over this. Just work. Just work. And he realizes now that he is not serving his team as long as he is leaving them alone. His success, this guy, depends on the performance of his team, not on how well he manages his schedule. And he had what I call a come-to-Jesus moment when he heard me talking about this, smacked his palm into his forehead and said, oh, my goodness, if I'm going to be successful, it's based on the productivity of my team. They need to see me. They need to feel like we're on the same page. They need to build consensus. And unless I start doing this, I am going to fail at this job. And that is the message for Generation Xers out there. You've got to get up. You've got to walk around. You've got to have the meetings. You've got to engage those people.
2: And again, back to our sense of balance, you know, I think of the Gallup research that says the bosses who are least effective are those who leave their employees alone too much.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: And we still expect, at least according to Gallup again, and probably significantly driven by millennials, we expect to have a best friend at work, and presumably each generation defines what that is differently. So I think
3: that's the point. Yeah, you're right.
2: For the traditional, best friend at work does not mean I'm sharing personal information. Um, for the millennials, probably what's appropriate to share with a colleague is very different than, again, what you and I share.
3: And it could mean living together, socializing together, uh, traveling together uh, during holidays, vacations. For the matures, a best friend at work, you're right, might be somebody I enjoy sitting next to at lunch. For the millennials, it means connected at the hip and doing everything from dawn to dusk and on the weekends and vacations together. So I, there's a different definition for each generation. I agree.
2: You know, I still wonder, um, when I graduated from college, I was 20, We, I worked in a finance department, and we all went out as a group often because we weren't married. And we drank a lot. We ate a lot. We did the things you do when you're single and have more time, and we did it with colleagues, is that really that different, or am I just an outlier?
3: No, I think that's a part of coming of age in the workplace. That's a part of getting your feet wet in the job, is the collegiality that you build after hours. I mean, even The Economist had a column about a year ago on the importance of going out and drinking with your workmates. It's it's a part of building the team. So I think that's kind of a part of all workplaces, regardless of ages. It's, uh, it's what your responsibilities were outside of the workplace at those ages uh, versus today. At your, your, when you were doing it versus what the millennials are today. And when the workplace, you know, when I did the same thing. I lived in Washington, D.C. After work, I went out and drank with my peers. We had a good time. We got up and we went home. Came to work the next day with one eye open. It was a part of the gig. Uh, the millennials <laughs> I was in DCQ, are, and
2: I had the same experience.
3: <laughs> yeah. The millennials are doing it today, but they're doing it until older ages. They're capable of it. And I'm not talking about physically, some sort of physical capability, but the lack of responsibilities, the more disposable income and the lack of responsibilities that will get them home, that need to get them home, uh, are just occurring at older ages. It's a part of things. It's happening till older ages.
2: Okay, so that's that's what I'm t- and I realize I'm simplifying something that's very complex. But what I'm taking away as one of the main answer or main points is we all went through these processes, but the the ages at which they're attached are
3: different. Their ages and the corresponding responsibilities outside okay. the workplace are different. There's there's also what the you know uh, something we have talked about, which is what they feel, they being the young employees, and this has happened from everyone the age of 50 and mm-hmm. younger, but it's more acute the closer you get into the 20s. What the workplace owes them, what the workplace should uh, be about. Yeah, uh, like we talked about, is my job going to make me happy? Who in my workplace is going to make me happy? Mm-hmm. From there, we're in uh, this May. There'll be graduation speakers. The Landover looking out over their audiences as they give their presentation, and it could be postgraduate, could be graduate from college, heck, it could be from kindergarten into first grade where they have cap and gown ceremonies and graduation speakers who will say, go out, find a good job that makes you happy. And that has become a part of the, the conversation of this society in the last 15 years is that the job should make you happy. You should be fulfilled in your job versus 30 years ago, Go out and find a job that makes you happy was not a part of the dialogue. Go out and Mm -hmm. find a job. Become self-sufficient. So today, go out and find a good job that makes you happy, and a part of that is what's the workplace going to do for me? What's it going to be like here? Am I going to enjoy it? Am I going to have fun? Am I going to work with people that I like? Historically, that was not a part of the equation in the workplace.
2: And having been on the board of trustees at a university and navigating the We educate young people, and what they've invested in tuition isn't necessarily commensurate with the salary they're going to make. I use an equation that says, what am I good at, what do I love, and what will compensate me accordingly, and how do I balance the three of those? So doing what I love isn't necessarily going to provide the lifestyle I'm looking for, and I just need to be conscious of that as I'm... As the young person looking for happiness and compensation, and as the employer, I also, it sounds like, need to be thinking about how do I balance the expectations across my range of employees?
3: Yeah, how do I make sure everybody, not not happy, I'm not a big advocate of of the employer making people happy, but make sure everybody is uh, stimulated, is uh, working on something that matters to them, that they feel invested mm-hmm. in. That's different from being happy. Um, so uh, the employer has that fine, that fine line to cross. Uh, and, and a lot of it comes from the work assigned. A lot of it comes from the team and the collegiality of the team, something we've talked about. And a lot of it comes from the relationship with the manager, the boss, the leader, the supervisor, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, to make sure people are stimulated and engaged.
2: So so you hit on something, and we're moving into wrap-up, hit on something that seems really important, the transition from talk about happy to talk about meaning. Uh, And as we mature through the developmental maturity cycle, my sense of happiness comes more from meaning than ping-pong. or (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think it comes from contribution.
0: Uh, It comes from
3: contribution, invisible, uh, uh, visible... You can see that what you've done matters, and it may not matter to the well-being of the planet, but to somebody, whether it be a customer or a teammate or a colleague, I have great respect for the bricklayer who, at the end of the day, looks back and says, I started here, and I finished here, and I can see the progress that I made today. So much of our work today, there's non-visible, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can't see What you've done, it's intellectual, it's service-oriented, and you can't see it. So when you understand what you do for people, I think there's a greater satisfaction in that.
2: So I love that we're ending on the note of meaning. We have about 30 seconds left. So what I want to ask, Cam, is can you give, for people who want to learn more about what, uh, your work specifically, how would they find your blog and how would they find you?
3: cammarston.com www.CamMarston.com, c-a-m-a nope i said it wrong c-a-m-m-a-r-s-t-o-n.com there you'll find books uh, a lot of promotional videos i give a lot of seminars etc uh, but the blog and hopefully by later in the spring you'll start hearing my podcast which is um, going to be reviews and Commentary as well as interviews on this subject matter, both in the marketplace and in the workplace.
2: Wonderful, thank you for sharing your insights with this group and hopefully folks will seek cam out because this is a much more complex topic than we can cover in an hour hour show and I know there are a lot of people who are very much looking for Uh, more depth in this conversation. So I want to wrap up and thank people for joining us. If you have questions, please, as as always, reach out to me, uh, info at metcalf-associates.com. I'm Maureen. I would love to hear your questions and either share them publicly or just get back to you. And any insights you have, any changes that you are making based on what you hear here. Certainly what I heard from Cam, uh, and we don't have time for a full summary, was I need to understand the multiple constituents within my organization by generation as well as by maturity level and balance the needs of each involving having very open and honest communications with each about why we're doing what we're doing. So that level of transparency and balance seem to be two of the key terms. So again, thank you for joining us, Innovative Leaders, Thriving, Thriving Organizations. We'll be back again next week.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel.